Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We are. We are. We are Cultivate. 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 We are Cultivate. Welcome back to another episode of Weird Distractions Podcast, a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate in discussing true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, and a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you and more than likely what the general manager at your local Subway restaurant would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. This week, I am back talking all things paranormal, but of course, before we dive into that, I need to go over a little little bit of housekeeping, and I also need to tell you what I need a distraction from. If neither of those are of interest to you, feel free to skip ahead about five minutes to dive right into this week's episode. But for those who are just tuning in who for some weird reason like the sound of my voice and just want to hear some updates and my need for distraction, then let's get into it. So let's get housekeeping out of the way. I just want to kind of give a little bit of a reminder that when this episode comes out on November 27th, there will also be a new monthly bonus Patreon episode out for both tiers. For as little as $2 USD a month, you can tune in and get even more distractions. Check that out at www.patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast. My need for distraction this week is just the audacity of people. Like people having expectations that I can maybe solve all of their problems with the flick of my wrist and the bat of my eyes just does not sit well with me. So my need for distraction is that. And if you have a need for a distraction and you would like me to read it on air, please email me at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com and let me know if it is something you want me to read on air. Um, if it's something maybe personally you just want to tell me, just, just let me know either way. And now that that's out of the way, let's just get into this week's distraction. This week, for our paranormal distraction, we're headed back near Ovid, New York, specifically to the hamlet of Willard. Just taking an Ovid hot minute here, listeners may recall we were there not too long ago for the unsolved murder of Kristen O'Connell, which her murder took place in 1985. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, it came out back in June of this year, and I will plug again, if anyone knows anything about Kristen's death, you can contact the New York State Police at 585-398-4100 or email the information to nysyicap at troopers.ny.gov. I will also mention that the Nefarious Nightmare podcast did a really good episode on Kristen O'Connell's case. I would highly recommend tuning into their coverage of Kristen's case as well as their other episodes. And once again, that is the Nefarious Nightmares podcast. 
For this week's episode, though, we're getting our EMF readers hot and ready to explore the history and the haunts of the former Willard Asylum, also known as the Willard Asylum for the Chronic Insane or Willard State Hospital. Due to potential coarse language, disturbing adult themes, discussions of suicide, and other topics that could be discussed today, listener discretion is advised. Weird fact right off the bat, the land that the now former asylum rests on was originally acquired for the Ovid Agricultural College. The land was appropriately acquired in 1853, with the doors of the final constructed buildings being opened in 1860 as a college. But as a few months passed on, it seemed like the attendance at the school was dwindling. This is reportedly due in the fact that simultaneously as the school opened its doors, the country was in open arms via the Civil War. Many faculty members and students would trade in their textbooks for guns, meaning fewer folks were actually using the college for what it was designed for. Eventually, the school would close and a new school in Ithaca would be opened approximately 36-ish minutes away from Ovid, primarily south of Ovid, if I'm not mistaken. Basically, this meant that the Ovid Agricultural College didn't really need to reopen as such. As all of this was taking place, a small shift in mental and cognitive health treatment was simultaneously happening. This shift, which seemingly was crossing the United States, was that former poor houses and jails were not to house society's unwell citizens. People who were deemed to live in these establishments due to their mental, physical, cognitive health, or due to their social stature, were not receiving any form of proper treatment within the poorhouses or the jails, and basically there was just a gap in service. Thus, a small but mighty shift came in trying to create some form of treatment opportunity that would allow those in need of care receive it in a proper setting. Dr. Willard supposedly observed that there was no movement for folks to improve or receive the proper care they needed within the poorhouses or in the prison, hence why there was this big push to try and implement a facility of sorts where this could happen. Thus, he, among with others, such as Miss Dorothea Lynn Dix of Massachusetts, thought that treatment-specific facilities could help those that were previously being held in poorhouses, almshouses, and, you know, institutions like that. This shift in societal thinking in this area of New York State appears to have been linked to a Dr. Sylvester D. Willard. Dr. Willard, born on June 19th of 1825 in Wilton, Connecticut, was once the Surgeon General of the state and also the Secretary of the New York State Medical Society. So, you know, he, he was doing some things. He took an interest in how people were being treated in poorhouses and jails, and from what I gathered, he saw an opportunity for proper treatment to be had. Dr. Willard even went as far as trying to pass a bill in order to get the gap filled. In a direct quote from the Asylum Project's website to explain a little bit as to what Dr. Willard was seeing and why there was kind of this push for the bill. Quote, It was found that in 55 counties, not counting New York and Kings County, there were 1,355 cases, nearly all of them chronic. Most of them were in a condition of neglect, abuse, and suffering. In the words of Governor Fenton, their condition was deplorable. As a result of this report, a bill was introduced to correct the abuse. This came to be known as the Willard Bill. The bill that Dr. Willard pushed for, which was signed into act by April 8th of 1865, included the following principles. Number one, the transfer of chronic insane from the county almshouses to the Willard Asylum. 
Number two, the transfer of all discharge chronic cases from the state lunatic asylum at Utica to Willard. And number three, that all recent cases of less than one year duration to be sent to the Utica Asylum. This bill would also open up the doors for the Willard State Asylum to be created. Certain counties that had asylums approved by the special act of the legislature were exempted from the act. Monroe was one of these. Its asylum later became the Rochester State Hospital. Dr. Willard, unfortunately, would not be able to see the asylum open as he reportedly passed away before it did. Melvin Williams, Willard superintendent back in about 2007-2008, was quoted on the a and &E show Paranormal State, noting that Dr. Willard had died in front of the New York legislature of a heart attack. For those wondering what this kind of shift in treatment was for these folks that were in need of it, was basically that they were hoping to create these facilities with medical staff that were trained to support various ranges of mental and cognitive health. So there would be actual programming put into place by these staff members that would teach them the skills they needed to rejoin society if and when they were able to. And rejoining society seemed to be much more of a goal for these folks, even though they came from a society which seemingly kind of pushed them into poorhouses or prisons previously. Once the property was prepared and the behind-the-scenes administrative work was done, Willard Asylum, named after Dr. Willard, of course, welcomed its first patient on October 13th of 1869. Their name was Mary, and according to an All That's Interesting article, Mary was suffering from dementia and had spent 10 years in a county poorhouse in chains. Here's more about Mary in a direct quote from the Asylum's Project website. Quote, Mary had been confined over 10 years, and for most of that time she had been a nude state. She was found crouched in the corner of a cell partially covered with a blanket, but without any other clothing or even a bed. Dr. Chapin commented that since her admission into Willard, she had been daily dressed and at all times presentable. Her general appearance and habits of cleanliness are much improved, end quote. Many folks that entered the doors of the new Willard Asylum had come from untreated, abusive, and traumatic situations. Some eventually got better while at Willard, whether it was their behaviors or appearance that changed. There seemed to be some improvement. However, not all was rainbows and positive quotes taped to a fridge door, but we'll get to that in a bit. It didn't take long for the former agricultural college to become overwhelmed with folks living within its walls. But have no fear, as those that were working at Willard and responsible for, you know, making it as great of a place as it was intended to be, saw this challenge and basically rose up to it. Renovations slowly began happening, allowing for more living spaces for those coming into Willard for treatment. At the end of 1870, there were 125 men and 450 women for a total of 575 patients. Detached buildings were built on the property. These buildings, often labeled as cottages, consisted of a group of five buildings in line. These buildings included living quarters for the supervisor, dining rooms, kitchen, and boiler rooms. The property also would eventually include a firehouse and a power plant, a water pump station, a water treatment plant, a central kitchen, a water tower, and more. At one time, Willer consisted of 80 buildings in total, which... That sounds like a hell of a lot. The Atlas Obscura website describes the asylum as the following in a direct quote. The asylum was built in the same style as many other Victorian institutional facilities. 
The campus was divided between a woman's side and a men's side, with a violent end and a nonviolent end, end quote. Many who made the trip to the property noted that things were kept clean for the patients who were seemingly engaged in activities, i.e. they weren't being chained to walls and left there to their own demise. And ultimately, it seemed like it was a big step up from former poorhouses, which that was part of the goal. Willard Asylum wanted to rid the use of poorhouses and offer a safe opportunity for people to integrate back into society or at least have a safe space for them to live. By 1880, when Willard had over 1,800 patients within its walls, the positive feedback continued to grow. The atmosphere at Willard was even described as being peaceful and quiet by the State Charities Aid Association of Erie County. It seemed like whoever entered the doors of Willard to do an inspection or just to check the place out seemed to be impressed. But things seemingly changed for Willard starting in 1890. In 1890, Willard Asylum became Willard State Hospital, which followed after the passage of the State Care Act, Chapter 126. This would mean that the former asylum was now responsible for taking only chronic cases from all over the state of New York, with acute cases still coming from its own district. Basically, instead of creating a whole new hospital or separate facility for those that were more chronic and just hyper-focusing on them, Willard became kind of a catch-all for everything. On top of this, we're also entering the time of tuberculosis and other epidemics, which many listeners of the show and others that discuss any form of asylums or hospitals in the U.S. from 1882 onward know that this became a huge problem. The problem didn't affect Willard lightly. By 1902, after segregation failed at the facility between those that were infected by TB and those that weren't affected by TB, tent treatments were suggested in to try and keep TB at bay, and by TB, once again, tuberculosis. This led to a $783.96 expense alone for the tents, which in today's currency would be just under $30,000. You gotta do what you gotta do, of course, but it seemed like Willard was slowly but surely enduring blow after blow with epidemics, changes in legislature, programming, so on and so forth. I mean, the times were also changing too, which this all kind of brings us to the potential dark side of the place. According to the YouTube video uploaded by user Illuminati, Willard would be known for its questionable ways for treating mental and cognitive disorders. For example, mental disorders due to syphilis would be allegedly treated with arsenicals and malaria before penicillin was introduced. That's right, arsenicals meaning chemical compounds that contained arsenic. The use of malaria was supposedly to induce fevers and in those affected with neurosyphilis in order to kill the bacteria of syphilis-related infections. I'm not a physician, but that just seems like a weirdly painful way to go about things. And I should mention too, this was happening all over the country. It wasn't just Willard, but Willard, you know, kind of wasn't, I, as far as my understanding, they weren't looking at alternative ways other than this at the time. Staff at Willard also allegedly used other methods of treatment, including insulin shock treatment, methanol, and electroshock treatment. These kinds of treatments were, you know, not uncommon for the time, but the fact that Willard was very much like about programming and positive treatment and the morale treatment, it seems interesting that they use such very invasive medical treatments as well. It, 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 I don't think it really sat right with folks. 
On top of this, the goal to have people reintegrate back into society from Willard may have been a bit of a bigger goal than the current treatment plan could handle. Many folks that went into Willard didn't actually leave Willard, with many resources noting that they would often kind of stay there for life, either by their choice or the choice of staff. And because the turnaround wasn't as high and more people continued to come in, the cost to run Willard just continued to grow. The growing demand was met with budget cuts, deaths, fires, more renovations needed, staff shortages, world wars, overcrowding. Willard Asylum, now Willard State Hospital, continued to try and take each blow it saw. Given the context of this facility, it also meant that there were many, many deaths that took place on site. Shocker, I'm sure to some, probably not, but For example, resources I came across such as the WBFO website noted that between 1910 and 1960, many who died at Willard, being about 5,500 people, were buried in the cemetery across the road from the facility in unmarked graves. Unsure how all of these folks died, but I'm sure many can concur that this was probably due to a wide range of causes. One thing I did for this location was see if there were any reported homicides. I did this because I wanted to see if it was more than just your average, you know, oh, somebody passed away due to natural causes or a sickness. Sometimes when it comes to paranormal locations, if there is a traumatic event, it seems as though that traumatic event, such as a homicide, could absorb any kind of energy in that space and, you know, play out as paranormal activity. We've we've talked about this before many, many episodes ago. Surely enough, I did come across some interesting pieces of history. For example, in April of 1891, the Star Gazette in Elmira, New York, published an article that reads as follows. A tragedy at the Willard State Hospital has just come to light after being kept secret for several days by officials. On Friday night, between the ward visits of the night watch at Willard State Hospital, Dewitt Savakul, an epileptic patient, killed another patient named John Morrow. The homicide was apparently committed by striking the victim with a jar, which was dashed into fragments, and they, the beds and the walls, were spotted with blood. Dr. Bishop, however, discovered that the victim died from suffocation, as Dewitt, after felling Morrow across his bed, piled the bedding over him with another bed, stead on top of that. Dewitt was not thought to be dangerous. He gave his testimony before the coroner in a clear and lucid manner, but without the least idea of criminality. Savakul said that Morrow came to his bed in the night and annoyed him. End quote. Another murder took place on May 28th of 1911 when a patient murdered a male employee within the boiler room. There were also alleged suicides that took place on the property, which trigger warning if you are not in a spot to hear about this. Former Willard State Hospital staff member Eugene Carroll described a situation where one former patient, who was reportedly struggling with depression, died by suicide by means of hanging in one of the property buildings. By 1955, the hospital hit its peak in terms of inpatients, with a total of 4,000 folks calling Willard home. By 1995, it was decided that Willard would shut down its services after providing care for 126 years. Remaining patients were reportedly transferred to other facilities, and what buildings were sellable or rentable were. Referencing a New York Upstate website write-up by Sunny Hernandez, The grounds were used by the Willard Drug Treatment Campus up until March of 2022. 
The drug treatment facility was ran by the Department of Criminal Correction Services and was described by a Finger Lakes Times article as an intensive voluntary boot camp style drug treatment program that lasts 90 days. It had become a sentencing option for people who had been convicted of a drug offense or parole violators who are facing the possibility of returning to prison for one or more years. Now the future of the site where Willard Asylum once functioned seems unclear. One big story that has come out of Willard since its closure in 1995 was when some 400 suitcases were found in the attic by an employee named Bev Courtright. The suitcases included many personal items from former patients, seemingly forgotten as years went by. These suitcases would be stored at the New York State Museum on display with them being highlighted in 2011. Photographer John Crispin began documenting the suitcases and their contents online so anyone could view them at any time. Now, with all of this being said, let's dive into the reported haunts of this historical New York State location. There seems to be a wide range of paranormal phenomena being reported at Willard. In a little bit of rapid fire, here are some of the reports I came across on the Our Paranormal World website. Number one, apparitions of former patients and staff have been witnessed by those visiting the grounds. Number two, shadow figures have also been reportedly seen, in particular by those who were staying within the facility while it was the substance treatment center. Next on the dock is people having allegedly heard disembodied voices, screams, laughter, crying, and calls for help. There also seems to be kind of a roller coaster of emotions experienced when you are visiting Willard, from folks reportedly feeling helpless, loneliness, or just content or solemn. Some visitors, patients, and former staff have allegedly felt as though they are being watched or just not feeling alone when they are in various parts of the building. And there have also been claims of poltergeist activity, including windows and doors opening and closing on their own, objects moving on their own, unexplainable noises including bangs and other loud abrupt sounds, just very, you know, poltergeist kind of stuff. And poltergeist is uh, another form of a parable entity which basically has the ability to move or manifest more physically than, I guess, your average, I don't want to say your average ghost, but your average paranormal haunt. On top of this, there have been reports of light anomalies, electrical disturbances, feeling as though people are being touched or, you know, having their hair tugged or having their clothes pulled by unseen presences. There's also been accounts of cold and warm spots and apparently virtually kind of anything paranormal related you will experience, supposedly, at Willard. In doing my research for this episode, I was able to stream an old episode of Paranormal State, which actually used to be my favorite paranormal investigative show. To be honest, it was my very first taste of paranormal investigations, and I wanted to go to Penn State so bad just so I could join the Paranormal Research Society. I was I, I really wanted to go, but uh, yeah, I, I was not getting into Penn State anytime soon. I probably still would not get into Penn State anytime soon, but I digress. The investigative team comprising of Ryan, Heather, Sergey, 
Katrina, Josh, and Elfie was invited to the grounds when the grounds were being ran as the Willard Drug Treatment Center. The group was called in by staff members from the Willard Drug Treatment Center, which once again was ran by corrections. Corrections staff allegedly experienced numerous accounts of paranormal activity, such as one example being in one of the dormitories where the drug treatment staff supposedly slept, two staff surgeons had seen something before hearing what sounded to be a feminine-sounding voice yell at them. These two staff members, according to the former superintendent Melvin Williams, who I mentioned earlier, left the very next day. They were that spooked. Further, in the Paranormal State episode, they repeated a lot of what I kind of previously mentioned in terms of experiences. So they had basically been told through interviews that they were, you know, that people were seeing apparitions, shadow figures, feminine-sounding screams, doors being opened, etc. Now let's actually discuss what the Paranormal State crew and psychic medium Chip Coffee experienced when they went to Willard Hospital. So Chip allegedly felt very overwhelming anger and sadness when at Willard, in which he reportedly felt like spirits were kind of like yelling at him to get out. During a spirit box session, it was asked how many spirits there were in the hospital with the team, in which they got a, there were seven as a response. When asking for names, they got a Lucy response back. Then they asked if there was anything else there at Willard with them, in which the faint sound of demon can be heard. A voice indicated that the demon is holding the spirits back. When Lucy was later brought up to the superintendent, he indicated he had heard many folks previously reference a ghost named Lucy. During the investigation, shadow figures were allegedly seen by crew members in the basement, and the group brings out the big guns and has Lorraine Warren, yes, that Lorraine Warren, come to the investigation. Lorraine came in, and in the first scene she is in within the building, she literally says, oh, God, help us. This is awful here, honey. Like, she walks in, and she's like, Mm-mm, no, this is, uh, <laughs> this is not good. We need to get out. She further indicated that she felt the presence of former patients crying out to her and kind of felt like a demon-like presence at Willard was once again holding them back, which it's interesting. I didn't come across anything mentioning a demon until I watched the Paranormal State episode. I'm not saying, I'm not like dismissing them, but I just find it interesting how they were the only ones that had kind of picked up on this whole demon aspect. Finally, the group does a seance with Chip where he experiences something nasty taking over his body. It's one of those things where we can't really judge his perspective of the situation. I mean, I know People listening will be like, oh, he's probably, you know, making it up or might not necessarily believe in spirit mediums or mediums in general. But I mean, it is what it is. People will have experiences. We can't necessarily be the judge of everybody's perspective or experience. Anyways, at the end of the seance, the group creates a vortex amongst themselves to try and rid the space of dark energy. Before the end of the episode, former family members whose loved ones were at Willard and now buried there were shown in the Paranormal State episode in kind of like a memorial service that they had within the graveyard. As a reminder, when it comes to the graveyard, many former patients were and probably still are in unmarked graves. They more than likely never had a proper they more than likely never had a proper burial, which a lot of different religions and cultures have their own ideologies around burials, right? And I think there's kind of this running theme and I don't want to pinpoint what specific religion or culture, but I think there's this common ideology that 
if someone doesn't receive a proper burial, it's kind of keeping their spirit on earth. And I know people tuning in are probably like, oh, this is real, this really abstract of you, Alex. But honestly, like, I feel like it's just allowing the spirit to rest, right? And so I think that kind of fed into or feeds into the whole Willard experience. And that's just me kind of speaking on a limb here. Now that we've covered the history and the haunts, let's let's wrap up this week's weird distraction. Like many abandoned asylums across this floating rock, Willard seems to also house the same post-use fears and lore like its counterparts. Take Rolling Hills or even Waverly Hills as examples. Both places intended on housing and helping now are soaked in the paranormal lore from foundation to rooftop. Willard, however, has seemingly been praised for its humanitarian step forward in comparison to other facilities around its era of creation. There was a huge attempt to fill a gap, and for the most part, that's what Willard did do for quite some time. But it fell into the similar situations as many of its time did. Questionable treatments, multiple deaths, couple homicides, the usual unfortunate circumstances with places like this from this time period. Although the future of the former asylum turned state hospital is uncertain, there seems to be one certain aspect to take away from this week's distraction. If it's an old abandoned hospital, there's bound to be some paranormal lore associated with it. But what do you think? Is Willard as haunted as people claim it is, or is this a case of old building many rumors? I would love to hear your thoughts. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming the show on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review. This helps the show out for free by letting others know that it's worth listening to. Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an update is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and TikTok. If you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month, why not join one of the two tiers over on Patreon? Each month you get exclusive content such as bonus episodes and series, the Weird Destinations travel posts, plus early access to the regular feed episodes. You can find out which tier is best suited for you by going to patreon.com slash Podcast. Shout out to my current patrons, aka my weird little family members, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Susan, Shadow, Courtney, Jennifer, and Cheryl. I love you all and appreciate your ongoing support of Weird Distractions. If you're unable to support the show on a monthly basis, but still want to support it maybe as a one-time donation, check out the show's merch over on Redbubble or sign up for a one-time donation over on Buy Me a Coffee. Lastly, I want to hear from you. As some longtime listeners may recall, Christy and I released two listener story-based episodes called Listener Distractions. I'd love to keep doing this series and hear all of your weird tales of ghostly encounters, unexplainable events, and too close to home true crime stories. You can email me your tales at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. As well, send me feedback. If there are any corrections that need to be made after today's episode, let me know. And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye. Bye.